So we're going to be in Philippians 2, 25 to 30. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask your blessing as we open up your word, read it. We pray that you would help us to understand and apply it. We want to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So give us grace, Lord. We, as we see something in Epaphroditus' life that is lacking in our own, we pray that you would just zing our hearts, show us, and then Lord, let us cry out to you in prayer that you would make a difference and you would change us to be more like Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Alright, Philippians chapter 2, let's pick it up in verse 25. Paul writes, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Now, I hope you'll recall as we've been studying Philippians chapter 2, that Paul is exhorting the church to unity and peace. We know that just from the whole flow of thought from chapter 1 verse 27 all the way through the end of chapter 2. He wants the church to be at peace. He doesn't want there to be divisions. And the path for the church to get to that place of unity and peace is to become selfless, humble servants. And so Paul has been exhorting them to this selfless humility over and over in many different ways. He does it directly in chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. And then he begins to show examples of what it looks like in real people. And he starts off by showing them the example of Jesus Christ. He says he was the greatest of all selfless servants. He existed in the form of God but didn't think it robbery to be equal as God but emptied himself becoming a man, becoming a servant. And then he humbled himself even further by, by, to the point of death and not just any death but death on a cross. But I think Paul understands that Jesus is an awesome example for us, but he's not one that we can completely relate to, because we know that he's in a league all his own. He's God, and we're not. He does not possess a sinful nature, and we do. And so in order to help us even further, Paul gives us some more examples. He gives us three real-life human examples, not divine examples, but human examples. Paul first points to his own life, then Timothy's life, and then Epaphroditus' life. And all of these are examples of selfless, humble service. Now, we, we looked at Paul's life, we call it Paul a poured out life. And then we looked at Timothy's life, we called it a Christ-centered life. But today we're going to look at Epaphroditus, and I'm calling it a fully devoted life. Epaphroditus, a fully devoted life. Now, we know very little about this guy named Epaphroditus. His name occurs twice in the Bible. And both times it occurs in the book of Philippians, one in chapter 2 and one in chapter 4. 
So everything we know about him is in this little book of Philippians, and there's not much. We don't know his marital status. We don't know if he had children. We don't know how he was converted. We don't know how long ago he was converted when this was written. Uh, we don't know what role he had in the church, what ministry he performed. None of, none of those things. But we, we can see quite a bit that gives us a glimpse into his, his life, his character, and his heart that I think is going to encourage us this morning to grow in this area of being a, a selfless and humble servant of Christ. So as we move through the text, I want you to see five things about his, his life. His name, his titles, his heart, his devotion, and his reward. Paul brings up those five areas. So let's look at them. First of all, his name. His name is Epaphroditus. And that was a common name, a common Greek name for that particular day and age. But you, you can probably guess Epaphroditus contains the name of a Greek god in the middle of that name. Epaphroditus. Aphrodite was the goddess of love. Remember the Greek culture, the, the, the Romans had all kinds of gods. And Aphrodite was the goddess of love. So they were polytheists. And so because his name was Epaphroditus, it means belonging to Aphrodite. That's what the name really means. Because, because his parents named him after this Greek goddess, we know that he came from a pagan origin. He wasn't born to Christian parents. No Christian parents would name their child belonging to Aphrodite. It's just, that would be absolutely taboo. Because that's idolatry, to worship a false god. So he came from a pagan background, a pagan lifestyle. And at some point in his life, he was arrested by the Lord Jesus. God called him. The Lord converted him, and his life was transformed. He joined the church there at Philippi, became one of the members of that particular church. And so certain people have kind of a blasé testimony when they tell how they came to Christ because they were raised in Christian homes and they never went through a really bad, dark period in their life. And certain other people who, who were saved out of a pagan background have this dramatic testimony. I think Epaphroditus would have had the dramatic kind because God saved him out of that total idolatrous background and pagan lifestyle. So when the Lord saved him, he went from belonging to Aphrodite to belonging to Jesus. And his new birth had way more power than his physical birth. And it broke the spell of idolatry in his life. And he became a new man, a new person. We know that much about Epaphroditus. Now let's look at his titles. Paul identifies him with five different titles. He says in verse 24, he's his brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. He identifies him in these five different ways. So first of all, he calls him his brother. And I love that because we have no evidence that Epaphroditus was anybody in the church. We, we, we never read about him being an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or an elder or even a deacon. We don't read about any sermons that he preached, any books that he wrote. He was just a regular Christian. Folks, you and I can identify with him. Right? He, he's just like you. <laughs> and Paul said to this guy, 
who is really a nobody in the church, and here Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says, he's my brother. Paul lifts him up and raises him up to his level. They're on the same par. They're both brothers in Christ. They have the same father. They belong to the same family. And I just think that's beautiful. He's just a regular Christian who made himself available to the Lord. And um, someone in the church might be an apostle who is able to write the very words of God as scripture. And somebody else might be the one who washes the saints' feet as they come to the church gathering. But they're both brothers in the Lord together. One of the great joys of the Christian life, I think, is meeting other Christians. Because they're actually part of your family. I know that when, when Debbie and I go on trips sometimes, if it's a bed and breakfast, you, you sit at a table and then other people are sitting at the same table and you start talking. And there have been many occasions when we've done that and we've been talking to the person and we've discovered, this person's my brother or my sister. <laughs> they're Christians, they're believers. I remember one guy actually gave me a, a written out... Uh, <laughs> identification of what, what verses he was reading throughout the year. And he gave me a copy of that, and I went home and did it for the next year. You know, just, just these cool divine appointments that the Lord sets up where we actually meet other people. And there's a joy that goes out immediately when you sense, wow, this person knows the same Christ that I know. I think heaven's, one of the joys of heaven is going to be that we're going to be getting to know our family all the saints who have ever lived from Adam to the end of time, not just in our generation, but all generations, from every particular ethnic group and language group. We're, I don't think there's going to be any language barriers in the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to be able to relate and fellowship with one another. I just think that's going to be a tremendous joy for all eternity, enjoying the Lord with our huge family that the Lord gives us. And here we see an example. Paul says, he's my brother. He may not be a pastor, he may not be anybody special in the church's eyes or the world's eyes, but hey, he and I are brothers in the, in the Lord. And that's how I, I feel when we get on a Zoom call with Timothy and I get to know Timothy a little bit. Or when Pastor Ray joins us on our Monday night Bible study and we get to know Pastor Ray a little bit from Bangladesh. Or it's how I feel getting to know Stanley and Janelle in Trinidad this last year. Every week we're meeting with them and studying the Bible. We are family. We may not be in the same local church, but we're still part of the same general family of God. It's beautiful. And I also like the fact that Paul was not big on flashy titles. He does, at the beginning of his letters, identify himself as an apostle, but only to give authority and weight to the letter that he's writing so that they would receive it with gravity and seriousness. I don't think Paul was trying to put himself on a pedestal and say, look, I'm an apostle, I'm better than you, I'm superior. I, I really don't think that. Everywhere we find him relating to other people like this passage, he says, we're f you're a fellow worker, you're a fellow soldier, you're my brother, we're in this together. And I think that he had learned his lesson from Jesus himself. Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 8, Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you're all brothers. Don't call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, 
For one is your leader, that is Christ. In other words, don't, don't try to have this hierarchy within the church where you're posing yourself. You're posing as someone who's greater than other people. That's contrary to the spirit, the humble spirit of Jesus Christ, where we're all brothers. So that's the first title that Paul uses to identify Epaphroditus. They shared a common father and a common family. The second title is fellow worker. Verse 25, he's my brother and fellow worker. And actually this phrase fellow worker was a very common way to speak about other Christians in the first century. I, we never do it. I never hear anybody talking about fellow workers. It's one of the, the things that we've kind of dropped over the years. But in the first century, read the book of Romans. And Paul refers to all kinds of people as workers. And, and in the usually the uh, last chapter of the epistles that he wrote. He would refer to people that are with him or people there as a fellow worker. A fellow worker, what does that imply? I think it implies that Epaphroditus was not just a hearer of the word, but he was a doer of the word. He was actively involved in his life in serving Christ, in serving the church, and working for the Lord and working for the kingdom of Christ. He wasn't a sideline Christian, you know, the, the kind of Christian who sits on the sidelines and watches life go by. He was involved in the game. Epaphroditus had certain spiritual gifts, just like you and I do. And Epaphroditus was willing to make those gifts available to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me do? How do you want to use me? I have this one life to live, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ is, will last, will last thank you. <laughs> I love that saying, but sometimes I mess it up. <laughs> but anyway, I, it's true. He was a fellow worker. And now if, if the Apostle Paul were alive today and he was writing a letter and he knew you, would he identify you as a fellow worker? Are you a fellow worker in the kingdom? How active, how involved are you in actually serving the Lord and serving his church? If you have to say, no, I don't think he would, I, I, I'm not really very involved at all, then, then you should be praying about that because that's not right. The Lord wants you to be fully involved with your life in serving him in one way or another, using the gifts that he's given to you. Now the third title that he identifies Epaphroditus by is fellow soldier. They shared a common family, they shared a common work, and they also shared common enemies. They were soldiers against the same enemies. I believe those enemies would be false teachers, and also Satan and Satan's demons. We know it would include uh, false teachers, because in this very, this very book, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes about them in verse 18. He says, For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So he identifies certain people as enemies of the cross of Christ. And he does the same thing back in chapter 1, verse 28 where he says, in no way alarmed by your opponents. So the church there at Philippi had opponents. 
which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So they had opponents that were causing suffering to the believers there at the church of Philippi. They were enemies of the gospel, enemies of Jesus Christ, enemies of the cross. And Paul is saying that Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier with him in doing battle against these common enemies. Now, I think it would also include Satan, Satan's demons who are continually trying to destroy, to steal, kill, destroy, do mischief. They're going about as a roaring lion seeking whom they may devour. So the church is to stand up and to do battle against Satan, against evil spirits, and also against those who would oppose the truth. So what about you? In your own life, can you say, I am a fellow soldier? Epaphroditus was just a regular old Christian, but he had joined sides with Paul, and he was battling against those who would oppose the truth. And when people are in your life, and they oppose the truth, do you say something? Do you stand up for the truth? Do you do battle against error? against those who would de denigrate and degrade Jesus Christ as less than God, the cultists, who all deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, or those who would come against the things that we read so clearly in Scripture as what biblical marriage is, and those who would denigrate that. Do, do you speak up for truth, or do you just cowardly let it go by and I think we need to be soldiers of the truth, soldiers of Christ, taking sides with him and what he says in his word. And not in a, not in a, a cruel, harsh way, of course, but in a truthful way, trying to communicate what, what God has told us in his word. So I want to challenge you to be a soldier. Not just a worker, but also a soldier of Jesus Christ. Now the fourth title he uses here is messenger. Your messenger. The Greek word for that is apostolos. Guess what word we get from apostolos? Apostle, right? Now he's not saying that Epaphroditus was an apostle. This is the generic form of that Greek word. It just means a messenger, one who is sent. And the church at Philippi had chosen Epaphroditus, and then they had commissioned him and sent him on a mission. And the mission was to take a gift, like they had all taken up a gift, a love offering, they, they gave it to Epaphroditus, and it was his job to take that gift all the way from Philippi to Rome, which was at least a seven-week journey, possibly much further. So it, it was his job to take it to Rome, give it to Paul, so that Paul could be ministered to, and then not only do that, but then to stay and to continually minister to Paul's needs until such a time as he would be sent back to Philippi. So he was their messenger. And we know that's why he came to him from chapter 4, verse 18. Paul writes there, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. What was it? A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You see, they had sent a gift. Paul calls it a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. He says, because you did this, I have received everything in full. I've got an abundance now. What you did is well-pleasing to God. So Epaphroditus came as a messenger, bringing 
this gift to Paul so that he would have what he needed there in prison, perhaps his food, perhaps his clothes, perhaps a, a warm coat, whatever, blankets, whatever he needed, uh, this gift was to help him, to supply that. In fact, over in Acts 28, it says that he was in his own rented house. And in, in that case, he would have to, if it's a rented house, he'd have to pay rent. So maybe this gift was to help him pay rent for wherever he was living. In those days, you didn't just mail a check, did you? We've got it easy today. They had no Venmo, they had no PayPal, they had nothing like that. Uh, you couldn't transfer money from one bank to another. You had to personally take the money in your hands and travel with it and give it to somebody. And so that's what Epaphroditus' job was. And when he, Paul sent Epaphroditus back, what do you think he sent him back with? What was he carrying? Can you think of it? He's carrying the book of Philippians. Paul wrote this letter and Epaphroditus carried it with him back to the church and they read it then. And it was the very word of God, inspired scripture. So he had a very important job to do. He was handling, in his hands, he carried the very word of God penned by an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he was, he was a messenger. He was just an errand boy. But it turns out it was a very important errand boy. And then the last title here is, he says, minister to my need. That word minister means servant. Epaphroditus was a servant to Paul's need. So he was to bring a gift to Paul and then he was to stay on. The, the plan was that he would stay on with Paul and just be his minister, his servant. If Paul needed him to go here or go there or contact these people or whatever it was, Epaphroditus would just go and do the bidding of the apostle because Paul was not free to do those things. Well, his stay in Rome was cut short because he got very sick, almost died, and Paul had to send him back early. But he was a minister to Paul's need. So those are his titles. Let's look now at his heart. The heart of Epaphroditus. And that comes out in verse 26 through 28. It says, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and be less concerned about you. What an amazing example. Verse 26, he was longing for you all and was distressed. And I, I would think that the verse would read like this. He was distressed because he had become sick. But it doesn't say that. He was distressed because the Philippians had heard that he had become sick. So who is Epaphroditus concerned about here? The Philippians, not himself. He's a living example of verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. He, he's longing for the Philippians, and he doesn't want them to be distressed, and he knows that they are going to be distressed. Somehow they had heard about his sickness. Perhaps there was someone that had visited Paul in Rome, and Epaphroditus had become sick, and... 
Paul took the opportunity to send another letter to the Philippians and let them know how Epaphroditus was doing so they knew about his particular illness. They're distressed about it. And Epaphroditus is just blown up with concern and worry about how they're going to feel when they find out about him. I love that phrase, he, he's longing for you all. It's the same phrase that Paul used about himself back in chapter 1. In verse 8, God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You, you know what this shows me? It, it shows me the supernatural love that these Christians had for each other. This is not a church where people would come in late, sit in the back row, and leave early. Where they, do, where they didn't have relationships with each other. This is a church where they were knit together in love. Where their lives were shared freely with one another. Where they took on the burdens and the joys of other believers. And, and when one suffered, all suffered. And when the church there learned about Epaphroditus being sick, they were distressed. Maybe it would help us to understand what it was like if, if we asked ourselves, how would we feel? Do you remember a year or two ago, Anthony went to Vietnam with Bibles for Asia? What if we, what if we said, we, we need a representative from our church to go? We choose Anthony. He goes over there to Vietnam and he gets sick. And we hear about this. We've got email now. So he sends, sends us an email. Hey man, I'm really, really sick. I don't know if I'm going to make it. How would we feel about that? And we would be on our knees. We would be holding prayer meetings. We would be fasting and praying. We would be distressed for our brother. So maybe that will help you understand how this church felt about Epaphroditus in Rome. Very same. Very similar. So he's a true living example of what Paul is trying to get the whole church to embrace, which is this selfless humility. And I just think it's a beautiful scene because... In this situation, everybody seems to be concerned for somebody else other than themselves. Epaphroditus is concerned about the Philippians. The Philippians are concerned about Epaphroditus. And the Apostle Paul is concerned about both of them. And so rather than keep Epaphroditus as his minister, he sends him back early because he's more concerned about Epaphroditus and the Philippians than he is for himself. Everybody is putting everybody else above themselves. And you know, that's, I think, going to be one of the Characteristics of life in the eternal state, in the new heavens and the new earth, will have no sin. Our sin comes from our selfishness, and that's, which is derived from our sin nature. And that's going to be gone. We're not going to have to be dealing with that anymore. And we are going to love each other supremely, which means putting others above ourselves. That's what heaven's going to be like. But we can start to experience something of that heaven, even now, through the power of the Holy Spirit as he kills this selfish desire in us and enables us to reach out and have concern for others. Fourth thing about Epaphroditus that we learn is his devotion. I want you to think for a moment what Epaphroditus had set out to do. He was embarking on a journey that's going to cause him to be away from his home for many months. If he's married and has children, he's going to have to leave his wife and kids and go. So he's going to be away from his family for months at a time. 
if he had a job, which he probably did, he's going to have to leave that job, whatever it was. Whether he works for himself or somebody else, he's going to have to leave. And so that's going to mean some financial hardship and suffering for him. And then he's going to be deliberately putting himself in harm's way. Because he's going to be identifying himself with the Apostle Paul, who is a, he, he's a, a prisoner. He's, he's a prisoner awaiting trial. He's not been in the good graces of the Roman government. And by Epaphroditus identifying himself with Paul, he's taking a risk. Paul still didn't know what was going to happen to him. He didn't know if he was going to be held indefinitely as a prisoner, whether he would be released, or whether he would be executed. He thought he would be released, but he couldn't be absolutely sure about that. And by Epaphroditus going and being with him, he's... He has no idea how the Roman government is going to feel about that. And so it would take courage and boldness for him to do what he did. And verse 30 says that he risked his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. He risked his life. He put his own life on the line to complete that mission. So what a great example. Here's a nobody, nobody famous, just an ordinary Christian like you and me who wrote no books, preached no sermons, but yet he put himself at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, how can you use me? What can I do for your service, Lord? How can I work for the kingdom, Lord? He had that heart. No task was too menial. No sacrifice was too big. No risk was too great for him. He was willing just to be a servant, to do whatever the Lord needed him to do. Now, none of us are going to be an Apostle Paul. And I dare say none of us are even going to be a Timothy. But all of us can be an Epaphroditus. That's why this example of Epaphroditus is so great. It's relevant to you. It's relevant to me. All of us can be fully devoted to the cause of Jesus Christ, no matter what role we play within the church or what our status is. All of us can be humble servants. In fact, God wants every single one of us to be a humble servant. Now, let's finally look at his reward. His reward. What was his reward for his faithful, humble service? Well, look at verse 29. Paul charges the church to do two things. Number one, receive him then in the Lord with all joy. Number two, hold men like him in high regard. So first of all, receive him then in the Lord with all joy. When he returns to Philippi, receive him with joy. In other words, celebrate. Show him how glad you are to see him. Throw a party. Rejoice with him that he's back. Show him appreciation for what he has done and be willing to risk his life in his service on behalf of the church. So receive him with all joy. Secondly, hold men like him in high regard. Now interestingly, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, he says the very same thing regarding how the Thessalonians should regard their spiritual leaders. Let me read this to you. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. But we, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Now who would that be? Who has charge over you in the Lord and who gives you instruction? 
Those are the pastors, right? They're the ones that are commissioned to teach the flock and to have charge over the flock. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So he tells them, esteem them. So esteem them very highly in love. Well, back here in Philippians chapter 2, he tells the church, receive Epaphroditus in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard, high, high esteem. And basically do the same thing for him that you do for your spiritual leaders and your pastors. That was his reward. It wasn't money. It wasn't riches. It wasn't worldly fame. It wasn't popularity. It wasn't a kingdom or a crown or an empire. But I have a feeling the Epaphroditus could care less about all those things anyway. He was interested in well done, my good and faithful servant. He was interested in being faithful on behalf of the church to serve the Lord Jesus and to minister to the Apostle Paul in his hour of need. His reward was to return to a church that loved him and appreciated him and held him in high regard. And that was enough. That was quite enough. So we've come to the end of looking at Epaphroditus' life. I would like you to see if you can pinpoint one of the things that we saw about his life today as something that you admire and you want to see more of in your life. If you need to, read back through 25 to 30. Read it again. And I would like you folks to link up with somebody. I'm going to pray and then we're going to take about five minutes to do this. Link up with another believer here that you're not in the same family with and, and, and tell them, this is what I admire, this is what I see a lack of in my life and this is what I want the Lord to do in me. And then I want you both to pray for each other that God would do that. Okay? Let's pray. Father, please take Epaphroditus' life and let us grow from it. Let us put into practice something today, this week. Let us, let us make progress, Lord. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.